G'day folks, my name's Mark Sundon and welcome to the Expedition Kayaks podcast. A periodical podcast we'll be putting up, recording, cataloguing some of our adventures and also the adventures of some of the people we paddle with and know from around our local local area here in Australia. My, my rather more podcasting shy buddy, partner in Expedition Kayaks, Rob Mercer will be along from time to time and we'll be conducting interviews with people, telling a few yarns of our own, hopefully keeping it all pretty fun and enjoyable. Glad you're along, here to listen, and I hope you enjoy it. So I'm joined today by Rob, my mate and business partner, and we thought we would have a little chat about an expedition we did back in 2011, which became known as the North Reef Expedition. It was a a, a line of islands that began at the top of Fraser Island and tracked north from there, winding up at a, a beautiful atoll with a lighthouse on it, about 130 kilometres off the coast of Gladstone. And no one had ever been to it before, so we figured it might be a good target as a, a bit of a mini expedition, something that we hoped would take 10 or 11 days. Um, we had a third wheel to the trip our great paddling mate Chris James and we uh we we set off in in Rockpool Tarrans which at the time were pretty radical looking boats they uh they were kayaks that a lot of people looked at and sternly said that's not a sea kayak but we were fairly confident in what they could do and cover ground for us because the trip itself had some big 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 distances between islands so Rob had more of a say in how the whole thing was planned out than I did. Um, I was more or less along as the third guy to uh, to provide publicity, I think. Um, and Chris and Rob got their heads together and plotted lines and navigation. Um, would that be a fair comment, Rob? We, we called you the communications person. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. Nothing to do with paddling ability, just pretty good at getting photos out there. <laughs> It wasn't even Facebook back then. No. It all went on our blog. And we had people following our spot tracker and uh, commenting on our blog and commenting on Sea Kayak Forums. Remember Sea Kayak Forums? Oh, yes, Sea Kayak Forums. They seem to have gone by the wayside too in favour of um, your own personal Facebook pages and shared groups on on social media. Um, I remember arriving at uh, Harvey Bay and we'd organised for a, a, a fishing boat to take us out to, to, to Fraser Island, which was about 60 k's. Yeah, yeah, it was the 60 k's we didn't really want to do. It was no, the flat 60 k's. It was. We weren't yeah. too inspired by the idea of plotting up a tidal estuary no. all the way to the top of Fraser and then uh, and then setting out on a 90-something kilometre crossing to our first island, which is what Lady Elliot Island. Yeah, yeah. We just didn't want the burden of that many mosquito bites and sand flies. <laughs> so we... Uh, we, we, we made our way out there. Then we, 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 the boat took us to the top of Fraser to, is it Rooney Point? Rooney Point, yeah. yeah. And, of course, that's pretty much a surf beach on the wrong day. We didn't quite hit it on the wrong day, but there were sets coming through and we had to work out a way to get our kayaks loaded with all of our gear off the back of a fishing boat into water that was a little bit overhead high with surf breaking around us. Um and then ferry them all into the beach, which took, from memory, took us a couple of hours. It did, yeah. And uh, the boatman looked very nonchalant about 
about backing up his trawler into the surf zone while we did it. So one by one, we kind of slingshotted our very expensive Rockville Tarans off the back of the boat. And well, we sort of ran them in through the surf, didn't we? Dry bags full of gear, camera did, gear, yeah. paddles, yeah. tents, you name it. Scrambled a dozen fresh eggs that I happened to be carrying. Yeah. <laughs> so I've always had a bit of a joke with Rob that he does tend to carry some things that I would never even, you know, worry about. Yeah. Like generally just food. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. food. Food. Supplies. Yeah. Yeah. It's never been my biggest priority on a trip. But uh, a dozen eggs in an egg safe egg container that was kind of ambitious I thought once yeah. we watched the the boats getting um getting launched into the surf like 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 uh javelins well I had dinner sorted that night anyway it did scrambled eggs with lots of shells in them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember the night it was a beautiful night on the top of Fraser we had uh the sun setting um you know if you, if you weren't about to do what we were about to do it would have been a place to sit and savor but as it was, I'd never been on a paddle of that distance before and I couldn't help but staring out to the north at the 90-something kilometres of ocean that lay between us and this tiny, tiny, tiny little speck of an island called Lady Elliot Island. Um, we, um, we had a feed, we uh, took a few photos and uh, headed off to bed with a, the aim of getting up nice and early because we had quite a good forecast. We had a 15 to 20 knot sort of wind over our right shoulder um not quite on the line we wanted but certainly enough to get our sails up to give us a bit of a push along and uh so it proved we hopped up the next morning and uh and looked out into a sea fog yeah 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 basically couldn't see from one boat to the next for about an hour Mm. and um that very quickly made me feel like i was alone in the ocean even though generally you'd still be able to see fraser island after that long by the time the fog cleared, um, you really couldn't see anything at all. Uh, it really was um, uh, the middle of nowhere in a place that not many people go paddling. No, water, water everywhere. Gaza had paddled there with uh, a couple of fellas, Paul and, and another bloke, um, the year earlier, and uh, they had a few tips for us about what a wild place it was. Um, but other than that, it was just it was a place that was pretty unique to kayakers, full stop. Uh, the day ground on, we, um, I think, uh, your rudder? Yeah, my foot, my foot plate um, let go. The, 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 one of the screws um, wasn't quite tightened properly. I'd been busy fitting out other people's boats. Yeah, I think that was probably mine. And uh, You paid a lot of attention to my fit out because yeah, uh, yeah. it's not really my strength, <laughs> is it? So, so I made sure that was all right, but... In the process, I'd forgotten to even check mine, and I remember turning to Mark and saying, "Mark, we have a problem." <laughs> I had remembered somehow that I had stored a Leatherman in my day hatch. It's about the only tool I own, um, and I described it as my man moment as I fumbled around behind myself in the day hatch, grabbed a hold of this Leatherman, desperately trying not to get seasick by staring at something in, in reasonably big water and, un, and unfurling the screwdriver head. And whilst Chris steadied Rob's boat and Rob held onto my boat and I leaned over the, 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 the section of it where, uh, where the screws were for the rudder pe- pegs and started turning. And we didn't know if it was a threaded bolt or if we had to have a 
finger or a wrench on a screw behind. We couldn't on a bolt. We couldn't remember, could we? No, no. It was it was. Let's hope that the thread's <coughs> actually in the track. If the if the thread is actually provided by a nut on the other side, then then uh, it's probably not going to happen. I'll probably just have to deal with it somehow or other. We had what. 77 kilometres to go at that point. Yeah, yeah, well over 70, that's for sure. So um, anyway, I turned and turned and turned. The boats bounced up and down. Chris made a few uh, sardonic remarks from the back about preparation. And after about two or three minutes of slowly turning this uh, this screw, it stopped and held firm. Mm. And I looked up and said, I think it's a threaded, threaded, threaded track. Threaded track. Yeah. I think we're good. Yeah. Rob gave the rudder uh, plates a shove. Nothing yeah. happened. Yeah. So we were we were back in business. Even more important than the rudder, it meant that the hole that was below the water line was closed back up. That's right. Screwing. <laughs> it was a good day to have an electric pump. There was a lot of water coming over the top of our heads and through our cockpits. And so the the journey carried on. Uh, people think that those long crossings are boring. They think you you plodding along, head down in the way that you can sometimes when you do a long-distance race like the Hawkesbury Classic or one of those flat-water races, but really they're not. You're staring at your compass, you're, you're checking your heading, you're watching waves. Out on the big open expanse like that, the wind plays tricks on you. You think you're going the way you're going, and it's only when you look up after three or four minutes of chasing after waves and see your mates at 200 metres away, you realise you've been following the wrong line and the wind has changed maybe just where you are as opposed to where they are. So it's all encompassing, you're concentrating, and the time just flies. You know, It's hard to imagine a 12-hour day on the water speeding by, but it sure does. It's uh, When you try to recall events afterwards, it can feel like a bit of a blur. Um, but the sun eventually went down. It did. It was we, an amazing sunset. We couldn't see the island because no. it was 20-something kilometres away at sunset. That's right, and only two metres high. That's right with a tiny little light that we hoped would start blipping at some point. Yep. And sure enough, pretty much right on the line Chris said it would be on. Yep. Considering it's mostly uncharted, it's certainly for boats that go the speed we go. Yep. Uh, there was this little light that started flashing off mm. in the distance. So we could see the loom of the light before we could see the light tower. And it made you understand why people in, in simpler times with uh, bigger boats um, had such an affinity for lighthouses and had a, such a need for lighthouses because it was very reassuring to know that just over the horizon where that light was coming from, that's where we were going to be able to make a safe landing. Or at least we thought it was going to be a safe landing. So on we went uh, towards the island. Um, we hadn't actually sussed out a way to get onto the island through the reef that surrounds it. We'd mistakenly, I think because I looked at a photo of Lady Musgrave Island and got that tangled up with Lady Elliot Island. They're both Lady, you know, something island. island. You know, that's an understandable mistake to make. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't realise that there was no way through other than a three-metre-wide blast channel that they bring a barge through once a month when it's dead calm. The really, the really unusual thing about Lady Elliot Island is almost all of the coral caves on the whole Queensland coast and in most places, the, the lagoon is on the... On the, um, on the protected side, and the prevailing wind is a sou'easter up there. But Lady Elliot's quite unusual in that the lagoon actually faces straight into the prevailing wind for some reason. 
but it's also a very unusually located island in that it's a it's the very last tip of the Great Barrier Reef and it faces across that expanse of water that we paddled to the biggest sand island in the world. So you've actually got the water that's running in the junction between the biggest sand island in the world and the biggest reef in the world and uh, biggest coral reef in the world. And so you've got deep ocean to the seaward side of it, just immediately to the seaward side of it, half a kilometre, a kilometre deep, and then you're paddling around on 30 metres of shallow water almost all the way out. So it's a very interesting, uh, um, sort of almost a confluence of different, of different environments where, where there's the meeting of all these different landforms and sea forms and uh, both above and below the water. That's a beautiful place. Seriously, good that lagoon. The way it, you know, the way I, I think did we just say it was the the start of the Great Barrier Reef and the start of the East Australian Current. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the uniqueness that had mm. geographically uniqueness of the place. So I'd I'd radioed the I'd phoned the resort the, the day two days before we arrived to say we should be there around sunset, maybe a little after on the day we were actually arriving, and to keep the lead lights on. And the lead lights are the lights they turn on to guide ships through their channel. Um, but obviously, without a channel, Lady Elliot Island doesn't have lead lights. The uh, the receptionist I spoke to said yes, no worries, but quite possibly didn't know what I meant when I said put the lead lights on. Whatever so, that means. So yeah. we lined up. We lined up something that we later found out was a yacht anchored and a golf buggy that they brought down to pick us up on, and went careening through surf across the top of a reef, and landed on a beach, thinking. What an excellent channel. That was fantastic. And uh, the operations manager for the island, when we got there, said, geez, that was gutsy. Mm. The next morning, we <clears> realised <throat> we just surfed straight over these jagged coral bombings. Without touching them. Without touching <laughs> a thing. Yeah. So that could have been the end of it. Right there and then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we found ourselves on Elliot for three days while these westerlies howled from the land, um, pretty well making a crossing 40-something kilometres to our next destination, which was Lady Musgrave Impossible, because we'd have to have headed too far into the wind to make any headway in order to, 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 to round up back towards the island. So we had to sit there uh, very frustratingly on a eco-resort with a fully functional cocktail bar. Um, oh, it was terrible. Meals, uh, adoring guests who were very interested in very what we'd done. Um, snorkeling, snorkeling, you know, although yes. we did look a bit stupid in wetsuits, poncing along the uh, sandy did. beach. We did. Yeah, I had a toothache, which Rob cured with some very expensive rum. Yep. Um, so that became a nightly medicinal yeah. treatment yeah. to make sure that I didn't get my toothache back. And it worked. El Dorado, 20-year-old. Yeah, it worked. It was quite an expensive way to treat yeah. toothache. Yeah. but uh, Probably would have been cheaper to fly you back to the dentist. Yes. <laughs> And finally, we had our forecast from this fellow called Carol Vissel in Israel, who at the time was was uh, like a like a magician. You could get him on a satellite phone; he'd send you text messages with the uh, the forecast. Nowadays, of course, we'd probably have coverage of some kind and be able to whistle it up on any number of weather models. But Carol gave us the go ahead. He said it will be really windy tomorrow again, but it'll drop. So we set off from from Lady Elliot Island on a sea state that you'd have to be an idiot to take on um, on the promise that it was going to drop and luckily for us it did. Um, 
The next stop was Lady Musgrave Island and we had a wild old couple of hours while that westerly sort of blew itself to bits. And then we cruised into another amazing coral cay, which was frequented by the ANU Dive Club. Yes, yes. So we no sooner arrived there when um, when all these um, young and enthusiastic uh, scuba divers came wandering up to uh, see what on earth we'd done and where on earth we'd come from and uh, invited us for dinner. Not before the island warden had come yes. running over with a tarp because yeah. the only place left to camp was oh, in a, yes. uh, a little grove of trees. Yeah. And she said, you'll need that to stop the birds from crapping on your tents. Yes. And we said, yeah, yeah, no, nah, we're fine. We don't mind if birds crap on our tents. That'll be fine. Chris and I couldn't have cared less. Rob, however, paid attention. Yes, we just mistake. We just lurched in and stuck our tents up wherever. Rob had a look up. Yeah, had a real good look around. I think, <clears> I think it hadn't been my best day on the water. I had a scratchy sort of landing, a launching from... Lady Elliot Island, so they sort of said, oh, well, a bit of a consolation prize for having a crap start to the day. Here's, you know, you can choose wherever you want to put your tent first. And so I thought, I'm not going to be caught by all these birds crapping on my tent. So I couldn't find any clear space above, you know, out to the sky above me. But I could get one spot where there was just one branch, just one branch that just happened to be overhanging. And I thought, well... Rather than be under the deep grove of trees like the I'm going to make the other guys camp, I'll just have this one branch and then a clear sky above me. Of course, that was the branch that all the birds decided they wanted to roost on all night. That was the toilet branch. That was the toilet branch. <laughs> and by morning, I had a bird poop igloo to sleep in. And as the sun heated up and baked that onto my tent, I changed the entire shape of my tent from that moment forward plus the way it smelt and the way it functioned and the way it packed down. If you'd been able to sort of somehow or other, if, it, if your tent had release wax on it like a kayak mould, we could have pulled the fabric out. We could have. And there would have been this perfectly shaped tent yeah. made out of guano. That's right. I could have had Very a little... fishy guano. Seabirds. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I could have had a, a bird poop igloo <laughs> for my whole, my whole stay on Lady Musgrave Island. And I must say, the boys were very sympathetic about this. We were. Too. We were. They, 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 um, before I'd even got out of my tent that morning, I could hear uncontrolled uncontrolled sounds of mirth. Giggling all uncontrollably. Around the, yep. All around the campsite. Especially when Chris and I looked at our own tents, and I had a couple of steamers on mine, and I think Chris pretty well got missed clean. Missed clean. Yeah. yeah. As he tended to do. Yeah. Did rather well. So from from um, from Lady Musgrave, we then had a, a cracker of a day. We we'd asked the Marine Parks Authority up in Queensland if we we were allowed to land on any of the islands that lay between Lady Musgrave and Heron, which was about eighty five kilometres away, and they were kind enough to give us permission to paddle across that area, which is very very restricted. It's not it's a pink zone, which means you can't really go there at all, but. They were very adamant that we weren't allowed to land. One fellow, one ranger did say, we can't stop you landing at Fitzroy Reef at low tide. That's about waist high if you get there at the right time. And there's a couple of spots where you can stand on the coral and have a leg stretch. Mm. So we, we set off with uh, a howling forecast, really, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was. It was right behind us, too, all the way. We had a, we, we, we hit uh, we had to reach Fitzroy Reef by a certain time because the tide 
funnels through the wisteria reef at Heron at a, at a, at a great rate once it starts to, to, to flood. And if we hadn't got there by a certain time and found ourselves against it, it would have been running almost at a speed that we couldn't have paddled against. Yeah, we wouldn't have been able to paddle against it. We yeah. would have been basically paddling as hard as we could and going nowhere. On an 80, like, 85 kilometre yeah, crossing. Yeah, 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 with about 30 to go, 40 to go. So we really had to hit that spot at a particular time. And uh, so we arrived at Fitzroy Reef, which was an experience like no other, really. There was no visible landform in any other direction. And massive big swells breaking against the outside of the coral crest the whole way around the reef. 30 kilometres all the way around? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty big reef. Big I reef, think. yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the, 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 the crest of the reef, um, just below the water level, um, massive big barrelling surf waves the whole way around. Calm, and, calm enough in the middle so that yachts are able to sail into the middle when it's not too windy. And... Um, and put an anchor down, stay overnight if they want to. And it must be a bizarre thing to be sitting in the middle of one of these coral atolls with no land around you and watching watching the surf crash against the, um, the reef crest in all directions. So we did make our way inside, didn't we? we there did. was a, a blast opening. We went in for our yeah. uh, leg stretch. We did. Yes. And it wasn't quite a low enough top. We would have been about neck high. Yes. And there were tiger sharks. Half a dozen, maybe, tiger yeah, sharks. Tiger sharks. Having a real good hard look at us. It was uh, like a tiger shark aquarium. It was. Yeah. It was. Um, and they weren't the biggest things in there either. No. no. <laughs> so the only thing we stretched was our imaginations yeah. that day. And. It, it, it was a surreal experience to have this wall of water breaking across in front of you as far as the eye could see and uh, no land behind it, just a reef. I can imagine what those early mariners must have thought yeah. when they um, came up across against that and the, wind, and the wind was blowing them towards it. That's right. They Sorry, chaps. Sorry, chaps. See that thing there? That's where we're going. Well, unfortunately, we're going to be there in about half an hour. That's right. And then a, a, an amazing... 40-odd kilometres from there to Heron Island, we had a, a pod of humpback whales come underneath us. I, I don't know how many, but it was a lot. Uh, carbs, bulls, yeah. um, elephants paddling, swimming underneath your kayak, no land in sight in any direction, yeah. wind howling. Yeah. Uh, they really did have a good look at us. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, it wasn't quite like the, the ones that swim up the east coast to breed. Um, I'd say these these were new calves. This this whole sort of grouping of whales, this whole pod, um, very cohesive, quite a big pod, not fragmented like we sometimes see them around Sydney, and moving with a real sense of purpose, but also also quite determined to come over and have a real good look at us on the way through. So yeah, it was a that was a wonderful little little break to the day, another little thing to lift our spirits and. Keep us keep us focused for the rest of the trip across. Fishy spouts yeah. all around. Yeah. We saw uh, One Tree Island off to the to the east at, at one point, which was a place we'd figured was going to take us a fair while to get anywhere near, and we couldn't believe how fast we got there. We were just absolutely flying with the the, the, the breeze, the swirl, the waves, and and the tide. By that point, had started to give us a bit of a hand as well, uh, and in no time. It seems funny to say that you'd do an 80-kilometre crossing 
and be a little bit disappointed when you finally get to the island you're getting to because it's all over. Yeah. And it's a day that lives large in my memory. Oh, was, yeah. uh, how, how long was it? Did it take to get there? Was it oh, nine we, hours? Nine hours. Not yeah. even. Eight, eight fifty something. Eight, eight, eight hours fifty for about 80 kilometres of, of open water. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It showed yeah. us what those kind of boats can do. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't an effort. We weren't no. trying to race. It was just, no. just what happened. It's just how yeah. fast we went. Heron was a bit of a culture change after swatting with the um, the ANU divers and eating their uh, stew on uh, on Lady Musgrave. That was another fully functioning cocktail bar resort, five star, yeah. um, with a uh, marine research facility. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the 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 fella in charge, Tim, he he took us for a tour of the. Uh, sort of the climate change research they were doing there. Like a climate was, change lab. It was, yeah. wasn't it? It's yeah. one of the first places they identified yeah. the, the effects of it, certainly on the reef. On the coral. Yeah. yeah. And he was a kayaker. He owned an old Nordcap, which he had stored on the island. Yeah, it was there. Yeah. So between telling us about his early exploits in Britain as a BCU coach of some considerable renown and, you know, name-dropping all of the famous British kayak luminaries of, of, of his era... Tim also entertained us with some fantastic stories of how you tackle a dugong. Off a tinny. Off a tinny. <laughs> how you jump on the back of a turtle. Yeah. Wrestle it to the surface. <laughs> all, all said with a, a certain amount of nonchalance, a laconic sort of description that was very entertaining over dinner. We had a couple of beers with him, didn't we, and yeah, had a chat? Yeah, it was we, good. It was funny. The next day there was a, an island between us and our goal, which was North Reef, and it was about a 15-kilometre paddle from Heron and about halfway between where we were and where North Reef was. But it's a absolute glamping movie star location, and I think it was $1,500 per person per night. Yeah, and at we, least. And we, been more. Yeah, yeah. and we weren't sure of our legal right to actually land there. Yeah. And he had this great girl working for him on the, on the um, ranger boats, and she just said, no, 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 there it is right there. Whatever you guys do, land on it. <laughs> yeah, land on it, have a stretch. Yeah, you know, we'll go, and, go and wee in the corner, do Call your best. Nature, whatever you need <laughs> whatever to do. Whatever you need. <laughs> make sure you do it right out the yeah. front of the tents. If you can see anyone, make sure they see it. Yeah. Uh, that'll be it. We'll all have a good laugh about that. So, yeah. so we did. The next so we did. Yeah. yeah, of course we did. Yeah. We we could see North Reef from, uh, from uh, Wilson Island. It was this... Uh, Spire, which we couldn't really identify as a lighthouse from that distance, but we could clearly see the shape. Um, it was a really flat, calm day. Yes. But there had been a massive east coast low around uh, off, off about Coffs Harbour, and it had sent spirals of swell radiating out from its centre, as they do. And whilst we weren't aware of any movement in the water at that point, what was under us was clearly a 14 or 15 second wave period. Um, and as we got closer and closer to North Reef, with light fading, the lighthouse started disappearing behind waves from our low vantage point on the, on the water. So we realised that we might have gone from very deep water yeah. to quite shallow water. Very quickly. And we didn't, again, have a particularly clear idea of how to get through the reef there were vague descriptions of, oh, the army put some star pickets in there many years ago or, you know, look for a, a couple of poles up on the beach or... Yeah, 
Yeah, there's a rock that looks a bit like a snail. Yeah, it was all this sort of description given. Um, and just as well we didn't find any of these these interesting little lead lines because when we saw them the next day, if we tried to use those, we would have got completely and utterly wiped out. So we were lucky we didn't see any of the suggested leads that were given to us by others. And using using a bit of common sense, we thought we'll, we'll paddle to the lee side of the island. Yes. Because it wasn't windy, it was no, dead calm. Not windy at all. Um, but by this stage, the swell had jacked up. Out of out of all proportion, Chris, uh, an enduring image of Chris was of him as he did getting in a little too close to a reef and having a chahupo like wave curl behind him, and he just managed to flick his boat off the left edge of it yeah. as it thundered into a yeah, a, a, yeah just cut back off just the, off the crest of it, <laughs> just a little flick of the tail yeah. and over he went yeah. spray behind him, big yeah. smile on his face, yeah. and on the far side we spotted a, the mast of a yacht and. Immediately, I thought, oh, they must be inside. There must be a channel. Um, but Rob pretty quickly established they weren't. They were anchored. They were outside. Yeah. And that was a reasonably good sign. If they were anchored there, it was probably a reasonably safe place. Hmm. Uh, so we paddled it all the way around to where they were. Um, I think Chris and I were pretty anxious to get in. We sat just outside the reef, reef watching these waves wrapping 360 degrees around. Well, it was only 345, yeah. 350. <laughs> we just had to pick the other 10 degrees. That's right. Yeah. Every three minutes or so. Oh, oh yeah, it was three, yeah, it broke 360 quite often. It did. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris and I were sitting on the edge of the reef trying to work out how we were going to get through. Rob disappeared. Yeah, well, I, I sort of established we were definitely going to get there. We were definitely going to be able to land. And... Uh, I wondered whether maybe if I spoke nicely to the yachties, I might get some fresh fish or something for dinner. Um, Instead, I went over to the yachts. The yacht, they were suitably impressed with where we'd come from. It was Uh, their life's ambition to get there on a yacht, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. They they'd basically been aiming to get there on a on a yacht, uh, pretty much as a as a life's ambition. This was a bucket list trip for them as well. And um, anyway, I dropped a few hints about dehydrated food and all no that cold, sort of thing. No cold beer. And, and, not, and not having any cold beer <laughs> and it all fell on deaf ears. And so I headed off and thought, well, I better get back to the beach before I lose lose my visual line. And I figured these guys would be able to show me the right way in because they would have worked it out by then. And uh, I got one last one last beckoning call from the yacht. And I thought, oh, here we go. Here's the... Nice coral trout fillet or crayfish, six pack of beers or whatever. And all it was was, oh, you come back here. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is promising. He said, now just sit there while I take a photo because if you die, I can sell it to the newspaper. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Yachty's keeping up their great reputation with yeah, kayakers. Yeah, they're great. Affinity with kayakers yeah. once more. Absolutely. The, the yacht, we, Chris and I by this stage had cruised through. We, we didn't see a white wave. We, we got through without any fuss. Um, to our great relief, along this amazing uh, lagoon. It was high tide, wasn't it? it so was, we flute, yeah. we, we kind of yeah. picked that. And, uh, and there we were on this um, incredibly isolated place uh, with this long, rich history of, of single men manning the lighthouse, which had just days before been restored by AMSA to its former glory. Painted, renovated. Yeah. There were still um, tracks in the sand where they'd had tractors. Yeah, they brought out amphibious landing craft to do the maintenance work on, uh, and, and big barges and 
They'd spent a substantial amount of money restoring this to its full operational glory. Um, although we weren't allowed inside, obviously, we were able to look through the windows and see all the varnished, varnished joinery and the and the all of the beautiful fit out inside. The the lighthouse was built on its own water tank, and so there's a big brass faucet sitting in the middle of the of the common areas for the lighthouse keepers, where they could actually pump up water from under the lighthouse to. Uh, to keep them going, so it was a it was a really remarkable structure, and we weren't really um, didn't know what to expect. Really, no, no one else had been there. No one said, "Oh, this will be interesting or historically interesting." What was also interesting is that a number of times since its inception, the entire the entire lighthouse, the entire reef around the lighthouse, all of the ground above water level had been washed away. So the the Atoll had always remained, but the actual land, any land around the White House, had been completely washed away. There's there's some quite famous images, if you look around carefully, of um, of the lighthouse with a jetty against the side of it, a small boat tied up against it, and absolutely no ground. So and chains. That, yeah, and the lighthouse itself chained to the to the coral. So there were times in its history when the lighthouse keepers on high tide actually had nowhere to stand except on the lighthouse, in the lighthouse or on the jetty out, outside. So it's a it's a fascinating place for all sorts of reasons. We toasted our arrival with a little bit more of my tooth medicine that Rob had brought along for just that purpose. Just that purpose. To yeah. stand on North Reef and hold up a Absolutely. plastic cup and, uh, and have some this beautiful, beautiful uh, Jamaican rum, that uh, Cuban rum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cuban rum. That, that he'd been uh, given and, uh, and it was a worthy way to celebrate a beautiful place. Next morning was crystal clear. The swell had dropped, although it was still booming on one side and we wandered around the island as the sun rose, uh, just taking in the majesty of this place. Uh, never forget it. We only had, you know, half a day there in the morning yeah. before we were packing up to get yeah. out because we were on a pretty tight schedule by then. Yeah. And uh, it's a place I'll never forget. Mm. Even cruising back off the off the beach to, to leave across the lagoon with my feet sitting up on top of the deck of the boat, uh, the sail up just gently pushing me along. It was like being on a on a, in an aquarium. Mm. It was every every manner of fish life directly underneath us, and the water was so clear it was impossible to estimate the depth. So this is another protected island. Uh, no mm. fishing. No mm. no man, no no one allowed. In fact, technically, we were on rather shaky ground being there ourselves um but i you know there were no signs saying there were no we signs couldn't. yeah there were no signs saying we couldn't that's mm. right yeah not that i'd recommend it to people out there listening no. of course no you know but uh the marine park authority people knew we were going they did and say we couldn't yeah they did. And were good at saying we couldn't go to lots of places so that wasn't one of them and that wasn't one they of said them. that belongs to amsa yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not one of ours no you go there yeah you go there <laughs> So, obviously, being 130-something k's off the coast, we had to make our way back to Australia from that point, and we had a couple of options. Um, the first one was very clear, and that was to get back to a, an island called North West Island, which um, was also a place no one had ever kayaked to, via another one of these amazing pink zone islands called Tryon Island. And we spent that day... I think it was about 30 k's making our way back from North Reef via Tryon Island to uh, to Northwest. And at Northwest, beautiful place though it was, another amazing coral cave. 
that was a place where you could fish and you could go and camp and do your best. And whilst we talked about North Reef and Tryon Island being like SeaWorld, at Northwest Island, there was nothing. In fact, there wasn't even coral. No, no. It was amazing how much how much difference there was between between the uh, Pink Zone Islands and the uh, and those that were regularly used by the fishos. The interesting thing is, even the fishos were were um, very positive about the idea of having the sanctuaries because they felt this was this was what was giving the place any any re, any opportunity to recover and. Yeah, they, they, were, they were as conservationists as I've ever seen a recreational yeah. fisher being. They, they, they were really surprised. They, were, yeah. they, were, they had a genuine love of the place. So we, we landed, um, we found a beautiful place to camp and wandered along the beach where we saw a, uh, a row of solar arrays which looked like something from the X-Files. Uh, massive bank of them yeah. uh, powering something big and there were military exercises going on, weren't there? A little there were, to the north yeah, in Shoalwood yeah, Bay. Yeah. So we we wondered whether that was maybe one of their staging posts. Yeah. So we turned into a little um, a little sandy path next to the, the solar arrays and wandered on in and we came upon the base camp for the Harvey Bay Fishos. That's right. They had 11 blokes, yep. 14 fridges, yep. uh, massive camp, Kitchen area, hot showers. Three half-cabin boats that they brought out on the barge. A uh, pizza oven. Pizza oven, that's Pizza right. oven. Yeah. Uh, alarm clocks. Yeah. Uh, you name it. They yeah. were uh, yeah. the video, videos, yeah. TVs, you name it. They'd set themselves up for three weeks of, of uh, absolute fishing, camping luxury out on Northwest Island. And they weren't that enthused about us. They must have thought we were police or... Military, all dressed in our yellow PFDs and our black gear, looking the same. Mm. And they sort of looked up and nodded and said, yeah, g'day. So we turned tail, didn't think they were particularly friendly, and uh, headed back to our tents. And what, 20 minutes later, mm. they sent out a delegation. Yeah, to check us out. Yeah. They, they, had, they had made a very snap, quick snap decision that we were clearly not what we said we were, <laughs> that... This business about canoes was absolute yeah. nonsense. You seriously expect me to believe you came here in a canoe, mate. And that there was something else funny going on that was probably more aligned with all of the helicopters that were flying over for Operation Talisman Sabre than anything right. to do with uh, with a couple of blokes, with three blokes going for a paddle. So they wandered in. It was uh, Robo? Richo. 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 He's yep. talked to me since Richo. He's bought there a kayak. Go bit faster one was a bit inspired by our trip and yeah. he said uh they're your canoes and we said yeah yeah they're our canoes and he said oh right so you're our kayakers then and we yeah, said yeah mate yeah. and he said all right well we'd like to invite yous for tea yeah and we said uh that'd be great and he said there's hot showers and we said yeah no no we'll be fine we don't uh we're you know we're, we're good we really haven't had one for a while anyway yeah. and he went yeah no they're hot and they're showers and you know if you want to use one um mm. you can have a shower yeah and again, I think Chris said, oh, thanks, but yeah, we'll be right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just telling you there's hot showers, mm. Mm. which of course made us think, man, mm. we must smell bad. Mm. Uh, that's, that's, you know, they say in Ireland when someone offers you a drink, it's polite to ask three times. This guy was doing the same thing with a nice hot shower. He was. Yeah. So we put on our best clothes. We did. Our least smelly icebreakers. Yeah. Yes. We uh, wandered along with uh, with our sporks. Yeah. And our, and our, 
and our balls. balls. Yeah. <laughs> and they laid on the biggest feed of steaks. And no fish. No fish. No fish. No. I thought for sure I was up for a spangled yeah. emperor or something. Yeah. Free, freezers full of fish, yeah. but evidently they were all earmarked for going going home. Yeah. It could have also been they were getting sick of eating fish and thought yeah. it would be a special treat for everyone yeah. to eat something that was of a non-fish variety. And I guess they figured we'd eat whatever they stuck in front of us, which was a fair point. Yeah, we weren't going to argue. So we, we sat down at their dining table and uh, we sussed out that there was this was a very well-organised group of men because they were all fellas. Um, if you're going to take a fishing trip out to a remote island from a small town like Harvey Bay, it's good if you've got the bloke who owns Bunnings. Yep. Which is a hardware chain for the people. The fishing tackle things. shop. The fishing tackle shop owner. The outboard mechanic. The fridge mechanic. Yep. The bloke who owns the chemist. Yep. Absolutely. There was um, a couple of the local businessmen who probably had a fair bit to do with stumping up the cash for the yeah, barge. Worked and worked out the funding. Yep. Yeah. There was a builder. Yep. So everyone had a skill. Oh, and there was an escort. That's right. A male escort. A male escort. Yeah. yeah. He looked like Ned Kelly if Ned Kelly had been allowed to live a long and fruitful life. Yes. Maybe to about 90. Yes. <laughs> Maybe if Ned had made it to 90, he would have looked like old mate, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. And Chris James turned to him after he'd heard the uh, the array of occupations of these fine men and said, what do you do, mate? And he looked at Chris and said, oh, I'm a male escort. And it turns out he was one of the blokes that... Uh, Drives the truck in front of the oversized vehicle on the highway that yeah, says "Danger wide load, load ahead." Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, so we had a lovely night with those blokes. They were they were they were gentlemen, and they uh, they gave us a good feed, and we swapped yarns with them. And uh, and you know, it's amazing what you find on some of these expeditions in the weirdest places. You know, of all the of all the gin joints in all the world, always springs to mind when when I have an experience like that in a wild place. Our, uh, our next day dawned dead calm um, and we had a real slog across a 60-kilometre stretch back to the continental islands, yeah, yeah. which were getting closer to Australia. We targeted an island called Hummocky Island. Across a very unhelpful current, I might add. Yeah, that's right. The, the tidal current ran at 90 degrees to our course, so it didn't really matter whether it was whether it was ebbing or flooding, it was always going to be... It was always going to be running across us. We were going to get no help from that, whatever. <clears throat> so we had 60 k's to get to, to Hummocky. Um, it's a reasonably rarely visited island for kayakers. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's down in the south south eastern corner of Keppel Bay. And due to the prevailing southeasterly winds, it's very hard to leave any of the big townships in Keppel Bay. And actually end up back at Hummocky without slogging into quite a solid headwind. So that for that and, and the reason that it's also got very small campsites and no camping facilities means that it is one of the more seldom visited islands in Keppel Bay, but it's probably my favourite. We got there, oh, we were pretty quick in the end. It was a bit of a miserable flat day to, compared yeah. to some of the fun we'd had on our other big crossings. Yeah. But... Um, as you do after a 60k paddle, Rob had been there once before and he said, you know what, before we go and put our tents up, there's some caves around here. And uh, we spent a good hour or so doing a bit of rock gardening. We did. 
as you as you do, fully laden. Um, some beautiful caves and uh, kind of volcanic yeah, features. Yeah, yeah very. Total opposite to the sand caves we've yeah, been on for the last couple of weeks. With all the coral and sand, and suddenly we're back on rocks. Yeah, and and Pisonia trees out on the caves, and suddenly we're back with um with flowering grevilleas and um, yeah. and uh, grass trees and, and a totally different, totally different landscape, and tall too. What a tall place! Yeah, yeah. yeah. We had internet connection, and we were first well, time. Chris and I were a little overdue with young families, and were <laughs> had the had the, the slightly surreal um, experience of sitting on a remote island with the laptop out a hot spot on our phones trying to book flights for the next day when we were going to get back to civilization and get out um which was sort of it was it was almost like the end came a, day, a night early with us having to do that stuff nowadays i imagine you'd have it a lot more frequently like we do on bass Strait, yeah. and uh that that whole remoteness wouldn't wouldn't be quite as uh as as, as pronounced as it was but we had a good feed we did we we before we even actually <coughs> pulled the boats completely ashore and after the cave cave exploration and the 60k paddle we found a rock that was completely covered in oysters and so we stood up to our knees in water with our rescue knives out and a few rocks and smashed off a couple of dozen oysters each and ate them just standing where we big where oysters. We were big, big oysters. oysters some of the one of the nicest feeds of oysters i've had i must say mm. so we had we had a 40 kilometer ride back to to somewhere where chris's dad Rob could meet us because he car shuffled along with his wife Kathy all the way from from Harvey Bay to uh, well, where we were going to land, which we were hoping was somewhere near Yapoon. And uh, the um, the forecast was for the trade winds to start blowing mid morning. So rather than get up early doors and and get going, we waited until it was starting to blow. Uh, I'd seen the likelihood of a big downwind day, so I sh- stuck all my stuff in the back hatch because um, I figured that would be the best way to keep everything anchored behind me and then I might really tear the backside out of it on the run back to Australia. If we hadn't have got the headwind, you probably would have done a reverse endo just paddling. <laughs> so much weight in the back. Sitting with my nose quite high in the air, wasn't I? You were, rather. And uh, we paddled out as the breeze started to build to maybe 15 or 20 knots and we turned out from the lee of the island and there after were three hours of the most unbelievable long, steady, fast surf rides you'd ever see in your whole life. Yep. We were consistently surfing along at 12, 13, 14 k's an hour. If you missed a wave, another one was coming, you'd drop your nose, a couple of hard paddle strokes, you'd be on the next one, and it just flew by. It, to this day, it's probably the greatest single day of paddling I've ever had. Uh, fully laden expedition boats chugging along like they were ocean racing skis. The three of us all pretty well humming along at the same speed, so we weren't sitting waiting for one another. Yeah, it, was a great um, day. it was a great day. It was a great day. The only moment for me, I'd never paddled up in that part of the world before, certainly not that far north, and the water started to go brown as we approached Keppel Sands where we were landing. And um, I remembered in the back of my head Rob saying, there were crocodiles around there. And I sidled over to him at one stage and said, is this where the crocs are? And Rob said, oh, why did you see one? And after having seen tiger sharks every 15 minutes for the last two weeks, which don't bother me in the slightest, I did uh, feel a, a, a sense of dread that sitting underneath me might be something who actually wants to eat me. Yeah. yeah. Surfing 
Brown waves. That's right. Overhead high. That's right. For five kilometres to land. Yeah. Whilst underneath us was something that had us on the menu. Absolutely on the menu. However unlikely, but... uh, Yeah, pretty unlikely. Yeah, still still not... It made me think twice about wanting to go paddling where the crocodiles live. So after... Oh, just under four hours, we, we we scooted into our landing spot, waited for the tide to bring us into shore, which was, uh, you know, it was about half a kilometre of mud flat. Yep. And we found ourselves right next to the sand at the beach mm. in 20 minutes as the as the, the, the water came in almost yeah. faster than we could walk in. Yeah, yeah it was, was easier in the end to float our boats up than drag them. Yeah, I said to Rob, how are we going to get our boats over this? Yeah. And Rob said, just sit tight. It'll be, it'll take us in. Just hit, and sure enough, in we went. Yeah. And Rob was there to uh, to pick us up, load our boats. Chris's dad, Rob. That's Chris's dad, yeah. Um, and uh, and our adventure was done. We um, we had a lovely feed that night in Yapoon, and yeah. we'd been setting up to video our last day, thinking it might be quite spectacular. So we were sitting in the restaurant having a look at the adventure we'd just had that day, with smiles on our dials, and it's. Uh, Fortunately, one of those things that lives on in a video we made, which which has been watched God knows how many thousands of times nowadays, of that particular run we had, um, it looks a bit fuzzy and hazy nowadays compared to the optics yeah. you can get from modern point, point of view cameras. But uh, I think you can still get the idea. Yeah, yeah, well, it showed it showed showed people what was possible with a, a fast touring sea kayak and a sail on yeah. a day when things lined up. Yeah. You know, it really did. People were quite astonished at. Yeah. How fast it looked because it usually yeah. doesn't. Right? No, but the Tarans under sail really, really started to get people thinking about a different way of approaching some of these longer distances. Range. Yeah. Suddenly there was range, yeah. without killing yourself, without it turning into an awful slog. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, um, we, we, uh, the, there was a, a sad postscript to our, uh, to our trip. Of course, um, that was that was September. August 2011 that we finished yeah. we um, we had another couple of notable adventures with Chris um, including a, a single day paddle from Sydney down to Jervis Bay which we'd worked out no one had ever done in a day um, and then sadly Chris passed away suddenly um, the following um, the following year mm-hmm. um, so just just over a year after we finished North Reef so we never got to go on another trip with him no. uh, but the way the guy attacked his life and his approach to adventure and the thoroughness of his preparation is something that I'll carry with me forever as well as uh, having been his mate. Absolutely. It was a, it was a trip that was, that was just made that bit more possible and that bit more, more uh, exciting because of, uh, because of Chris's fantastic attitude towards it, his understanding of it, and his just all-round great ability He's one of those guys who would paddle up to you. You always have a bad hour on a big day when you're not feeling so good. And he'd inevitably work out when that was. And he'd paddle over alongside and say, mate, you're looking great. You're looking strong. Good day we're having, eh? How's everything? And it would always lift you up knowing that, uh, you know, that, that he thought you were looking okay even though you maybe weren't feeling all that great. I always used to laugh at Rob and, Rob and Chris would go and plan these things, you know, all their talk about charts and navigation at Chris's beautiful restaurant, which really, really was a beautiful restaurant. All the Sydney's glitterati used to eat there. And it wasn't unknown for, you know, some radio personality to be politely shifted away from their table 
so that we could get the banquet table to lay out all of the charts. <laughs> so, bring out some tasting plates. And that's right. Argentinian wine and, and some magnificent, magnificent fresh seafood and all these platters would be sitting in amongst yeah. the charts. All the staff having a bit of a chuckle as... <laughs> As Sydney's, um, as Sydney's glitterati were sitting around us, a little bit disgruntled that they'd all been pushed into the corners so we could have our planning session. It was almost worth planning a trip to see. You could have a planning session, Absolutely. wasn't Absolutely. <laughs> With Chris? In fact, we did have a few more planning sessions than we had trips. But we did. <laughs> I'm sure we would have made them up if Chris had stuck around. That's right. That's right. Ah, so that that is the tale of our North Reef trip. Um, if you want to have a look at it, Online on, on the homepage for Expedition Kayaks, there is a link to the video of the trip, which is about 40 minutes long, maybe not quite as long as that. Um, give you a few clues about about how it all looked out there, what, what we what we did, and um, and there's a, a write up as well that appeared in Ocean Paddler that that um, that we wrote to, to summarise most of what you've just heard, but just not quite as much detail. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Mark. Makes me want to go and do it all it again. It does. It does. I, I the, the the clarity of my memory of it. You know, I, I'd I'd love to get out there and have another shot in that part of the world, as committing as it is. It was a an awesome place. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed uh, our, one of our podcasts and a nice early one. We're we're smoothing our way, trying to work out how to get this stuff done. But um, if uh, if the feedback is positive, we'll we'll keep them coming. If you've got mates in the paddling world certainly in australia that you'd like us to have a chat to um then let us know um you can get us through our facebook page expedition kayaks or through me at mark at expedition kayaks.com or rob at expedition kayaks.com thanks for listening For those of you statistically minded, the North Reef Expedition traversed just under 400 kilometres. We had seven days on the water, a um, couple of days off at Lady Elliot Island and another one at Lady Musgrave. Um, very committing distances. The crossings were 90, 50, 80, um, a couple of 30s, then a 60, then another 40 back to land. So not the sort of trip you'd want to do if you weren't very confident of covering ground in a timely manner. The Marine Parks Authority were very specific in asking us that, that when we reported on it, not to put it out there as some kind of Sunday's cruise or maybe another route to rival the Eastern Bass Strait trip for people to go and have a go at because they knew just what a, 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 a bit of a nightmare of a stretch of water the place could be. The forecast, for example, wasn't a coastal forecast. It was the high seas because the average distance off the coast for the for most of the trip was between 80 and 100 kilometres. So very committing, um, beautiful places, but not one to be taken lightly. It hasn't been attempted since, um, which given the nature of it, maybe isn't such a bad thing. Um, but I'm sure one day someone will line it up and give it a go because uh, it really was something else to be out there doing that, especially with, uh, with Rob and with Chris James, something I'll always treasure. If you want more information, we have a full blog on, on the North Reef trip done back in the day. It's a bit, it reads a bit funny nowadays that we've gotten a bit polished with these things. And there's a video, um, about a half hour video that shows all the beautiful places and some of the action, especially in the downwind stuff um, with our Rockpool Tarrants cutting loose.
One of them in particular is a very popular video that's been seen a lot. So if you, if you feel inclined, take a look on our homepage, that's expeditionkayaks.com, and there's plenty of stuff on there with, with photos and a, and a library and things. Thanks very much for listening, and uh, stay tuned for our next episode.